Hey there, e-commerce enthusiasts. Let me tell you about a game changer in shipping, ShipStation. It's the ultimate platform for simplifying your shipping process. With ShipStation, you can easily import, manage, and ship your orders in no time. It integrates seamlessly with your favorite e-commerce platforms and carriers, ensuring a smooth workflow. Gain valuable insights with their powerful analytics and reporting tools. Say goodbye to shipping headaches. Visit milwaukeemafia.com slash ship and level up your shipping game today. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. Gavin, we're back with another episode. Yes. You have anything <laughs> for us today? Or yes. Yes, I do. Whew. Ooh, I I can't remember the last time I was in this chair. This was a nice <laughs> it's chair. Been, it's been a long time, hasn't it? Yeah. We 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 did. We didn't I I guess I kind of went on vacation, but we didn't even really it wasn't even vacation. We just took our own personal vacation, I kind of feel like. Yeah. So I heard you went to Utah. I did. Yeah. Hung out with the Mormons. It that's was fun. Cool. That's cool. All right. Actually, we have like this is going to be a really short, I think. A really short episode. But I think it's an important one. That's based, why it's here. Based on the paperwork, it does look like it's going to be short. Because they're it's, usually significantly longer yeah, than that sheet of paper. Right it's there. pretty short. This is an episode about a third generation Italian-American in Milwaukee, a relative of a mafia family, and how they were part of that community... I, I'm going to be very upfront about this. I do not believe at all that this person was a mafia member, was a criminal, was anything of the sort. Despite that, the FBI still, still looked into him. Thoroughly? or Not a whole lot. I mean, not like how they sometimes do for year after year <laughs> after year. Not like the gambling guy where they just followed him yeah. around for like 10 years and never saw anything. Yeah, nothing like that. But they definitely, I think we've explained this before, but it's, it's worth repeating because not everyone's going to remember everything ever said on here. The way the FBI used to work, I have no idea how they work now. The way they used to work is when they'd open an investigative file, it would run for six months. And then at six months, they would decide whether to keep running it or not. So this is more like a six-month. It's basically a background check, more or less. So how did this person get onto your radar to know to get this report? Did, does he just show up in tons of mafia-related criminal FBI files, and you just kept seeing this name over and over again? And you're like, who is this guy? Or how did you get on? Oh, it'll be really obvious once I say his name why it, why it came up. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. But just in general, the way with the FBI files, when multiple people are mentioned in a file, they have like the index to the file of who's in it and what their FBI file number is if they have one. For quite a while, like it's less common for me now, but like when I was first doing this, I, I just anytime there was a new name, I would get a new file. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew who the name was. Like I said, it's going to be immediately obvious. <laughs> okay. But just in general, I'd be like, oh, here's somebody who's connected to these guys. Let's see what comes up. Because you never know. You don't know what direction things are going to go. Mm-hmm. All right. So you ready to hear the name of this person? I, I am ready to hear this name. Okay. We're going to talk about... Dr. Vito Guardalabene. Okay. 
But this is this is a much later Vito Guardalabene. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. For the purposes of simplicity, I'm just going to call him Dr. Vito. He's born May 11th, 1909 in Milwaukee. Uh, his father is Giovanni Battista, also known as Pete. Um, and his mother is Angela Bellante. Pete, listeners may recall, was one of the two brothers who were kind of involved in like the, the landfill garbage mm-hmm. scam. Pete was actually briefly the mob boss. And of course, Pete's father, the original Vito, was the first nice mob, mob boss. Right. Dr. Vito is the son and grandson of mob bosses, you know, as well as like a nephew and whatever else. So it's very understandable how he gets sucked into this world. Right. <laughs> right. No matter what he would have done. He would have been on somebody's radar. He would have been on someone's radar, just because he grew up with everybody. And on top of that, he also just happens to share the name with the original mob boss, too, which I'm sure didn't do him any benefits either. It doesn't probably help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I say I don't know. I, sh- I probably shouldn't say this because it kind of violates my 50 year rule. Like mob boss Frank Bellistry, he's he's got a grandson. And they, they named him Frank, because that's okay. the tradition. Right. But it's like, I don't know, that's a bold move. <laughs> like, you know you know that name carries some weight. Wait, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, I guess I can say it. that isn't really saying anything about anybody, <laughs> but just like, it's a bold name choice. He grows up with, you know, his father, his grandfather. He's next door to another mob guy, Carlo DiMaggio. Another house over is another mob guy, Carmelo Zarconi. So, like, this whole block is, like, everybody's living as close to each other as possible. Like, not only are they all living in the Third Ward, because that's where the Italians lived, the mob guys really tried to be as close to each other as possible. Um, and they're really, so, he, yeah, he grew up with, he grew up with everybody. Uh, he went to Lincoln High School and graduated in 1927 which is also the high school most of the Italian community went to. Uh, He attended Marquette University. He then graduated medical school in Minnesota in 1935. He did his residency in St. Paul. He then gets married in Chicago around 1940. Interestingly, perhaps, I don't know, his wife, not Italian. Uh, No mob connections whatsoever. So that's your first clue that he probably isn't really involved in that world, right. right? Because when isn't that kind of a thing they do is to make sure that they're they're marrying somebody that is mob connected, right? And that's and that's the thing. I mean, it's not it's not a hundred percent one way or the other. I mean, there's mob guys who marry Irish, Polish, whatever women, and that doesn't make them not mob guys. But it is interesting that at this time, 1940. He's coming out of this tradition. He's still in that time frame where his father could basically have chosen a wife for him. him. And that that clearly did not happen here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he's going his own way. They have a daughter, Carla. Vito, Dr. Vito, (laughs) was a a World War II veteran. I'm not exactly sure what he did in World War II, but because he already had his medical license, I'm assuming... It was not in combat. It, he was probably well, yeah, a medical doctor. officer. Right. Yeah. Afterwards, he sets up shop um, as a physician and surgeon in Milwaukee. 
He served on the staff of Deaconess Hospital and St. Michael Hospital in the Milwaukee area. The first time that I've ever seen him come up in an FBI file is on October 7th, 1961. He's running pretty good. Like, he's he's made it, like, to, like, age 50 before he's even, like, mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, good job, Dr. Vito. Kind of makes you think that he was probably really, really not involved if it took him that long to pull him into this. Yeah. An informant said that he was known to treat hoodlums if they were injured during a crime. Allegedly, within the last three months, he had treated a man for gunshot wounds. The informant would not say who. And here, I I would like to point out, that's not even that unusual. I, I know that this this could sound shady, but also, like, that's what a doctor does. Yeah. there's Doctor-patient confidentiality is a real thing. If you show up at a doctor's office with a gunshot wound, the doctor's going to treat you for your gunshot wound. They're not going to ask you, did you just come from a robbery? Like, that's not, they don't care about that. They're going to treat you. Mm-hmm. And totally... He could have just been being a good Samaritan, you know, like he could just have been somebody walked in with a gunshot wound and like you said, just he just treated him. It's not that he's doing anything nefarious. He's not working with the mafia. He's just like, hey, some poor kid came in with a bullet. I'm going to do something about. Yeah. All right. So here's here's the big moment. And here's the moment why it's worth having an episode. Oh, despite, you know, it's nice to clear a guy. That's nice, too, sometimes. <laughs> December 27th, 1961. There is a testimonial dinner for Dr. Vito at Gallagher's worth dinner running $25 a plate. Testimonial dinners, I don't even know if they do these anymore. You come in and you pay your thing and it's in honor of somebody and people give all these speeches and say how great they are for the community, whatever. Mm-hmm. Apparently, at this point, he must have been well-known enough as a doctor that he could have one of these parties. Gallagher's being one of Frank Balistrieri's clubs, the dinner was arranged by Dominic Frenzy, the mob attorney. Also present at the testimony dinner were Frank Balistrieri, Peter Balistrieri, Buster Balistrieri, John Aliotto, Frank Lagalvo, Sam Ferreira, Steve DeSalvo, John Rizzo, Louis Fazio, Harold and Bernard Klein, Jaime Corrin, who I have no idea who that is, and August Maniachi. Somebody there related to Izzy Pograb, who had you know, recently been murdered, who was there, um, which surprised the informant that reported on the attendance. What was really odd is all these guys are here, which isn't like that's not odd in itself, because of course it's like Balistrade's Club. Mm-hmm. They're all here at the same time as these this other group of people. Judge Robert Curley, Judge Thaddeus Press, Judge Robert Hansen, Judge Harvey Nealon, Judge William O'Neill, Judge Michael Sullivan, Judge Chris Seraphim, City Attorney John Fleming, Clerk of Court Raymond Fleming, Sheriff George Witkowski, Deputy District Attorney Aladdin DeBrazo, County Supervisor Joseph Greco, Angelo Provenzano, Union Representatives Ben Barwick, Phil Valley, Roy Lane, Frank Ranney, William Frank, the president of the City Bank, and, uh, you know, various other people. <laughs> These two very different groups of people together at the same meeting. And we, we learn after the fact that while on the face of it, this is a testimonial dinner for Dr. Vito, 
This actually serves as the party to congratulate Frank for becoming the mob boss. This is this is December 61. He had already been boss for a little while, but this is like the big celebration of that event for him. So he's celebrating that while supposedly it's supposed to be for Dr. Vito. When, when Dr. Vito realizes that, he is not happy with Frank. <laughs> <laughs> and just in general, like I think it's a weird mix because you know, some of these guys, um, we know we know they're mob guys. You know, they have regular lives outside of that. They own bars and restaurants and everything else. People know who they are. The name that really jumps out at me is Louis Fazio. Because Louis Fazio, I mean, he has a history of child sex trafficking, burglary, murder, etc. And uh, I don't know, maybe... Maybe I'm reading into this way too much, but it seems weird to me that he's at the same party as all these like city officials and judges and everything else, because they should want, if they should see him, they should be like, we're getting the hell out of here. <laughs> like maybe, maybe I don't know. I Maybe he was just that well loved or, or people didn't recognize his face or they were like, eh, you're going to have one bad guy in a big party. I don't know, but it's just weird to me that they would all be hanging out together. Well, and that's what it be, part of what makes me question. So, like, a lot of the people that you probably mentioned on the list on the mafia side, they probably have respectable, like you said, they have respectable day jobs. Yeah. They probably mince with some of these people on a regular basis anyways, just from their businesses and things like that. Sure. I It would be interesting to know what the dynamic of this party was, like, were the mafia people like on one side of the bar and then the, uh, you know, yeah. Vito and all these other politicians and stuff on the other side of the bar? Or was this, you know, supposed to be like, like this was all one big party that they were celebrating together? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know how much interaction there was. It just, it seems weird to me. And maybe, like I said, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe it's not weird at all because, you know, when you got a room with, couple hundred people you're gonna have that i mean mm. i mean you if you're in a room with a hundred people there's people in that room who have done wonderful things and have done terrible things and you don't necessarily know who they yeah, are you have no idea who who the good ones are and who the right. bad ones are per se, so, so so there's that but it's like it's still the whole thing is weird because even though frank had just recently become boss like he had for years he had been getting bad publicity before he was ever boss. So it's like, it's not like the judges and everyone else didn't know who Frank was and they were going to a Frank club. Even that's weird to me where they would be like, yeah, we're not going to go buy a way out. Cause $25 in 1961 is a significant dinner. It's very weird. The whole thing is very weird to me. Mm -hmm. Like that you wouldn't find some other venue for this party. Well, and it's also weird. Didn't you say that the mob lawyer is the one that actually set it all up? Yeah. Which it, it now so this which lawyer, is which he's not just the mob lawyer. He's he's a fairly respected defense attorney. So he might have just had a relationship with Vito that set and set this up. Yeah. And then it, that it's just weird. Yeah. And it almost the. Just that part of it makes me wonder, like, was this guy more connected than we, you know, than the evidence shows? I don't think so. Because, I mean, just to have all those people at his party, that just seems weird. Because it would be one thing if, like, 
the top level mafia people are there because you know that probably being that Vito is a respected Italian in the community, he's mm-hmm. going to cross paths with these people because these yeah. people are property owners and not on top of that, like we talked about, I don't know if at this point in time, but what was it like the retired pension type thing mm-hmm. that the Italians had? Yeah. Half of them were on that board or whatever, the mafia members. Yeah. And he, uh, Vito seems like a kind of guy that could have been on that board as well. Because yeah. he was just a respected person and so That makes sense. I don't know. Once you once you start going down those names and you start getting deeper down into the lower level mafia people, the more the muscle of it. Yeah. That's where it becomes weird to me. Yeah. It's something's off. And and apparently again, this anytime you're dealing with FBI files like a lot of this is secondhand. One, one. There were multiple informants at this party. I don't know who all the informants were, but apparently they <laughs> they were part of this group. One of them told the FBI that when Doctor Vito found out of who, like he didn't send out the invitations. When he found out how many of these guys were there, apparently he actually got sick to his stomach because he's like, "This is supposed to be like my celebration." And clearly, this is just Frank inviting his buddies. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that was not the point. Whether he knew specifically that it was a party to honor Frank becoming mob boss, I don't know. I don't know if Dr. Vito would be aware of that. He probably wouldn't be aware of that. But he obviously knew who the shady people in town were. Like, everybody knew because they were in the papers all the time. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Yeah. And wh- why... Why would Frank have brought all these people there? Like for for what reason? What what was, what was the money going toward? Do we know what the money was going toward? Like obviously no, I don't it, know. it was like twenty five dollars a meal, but I assume that went to something. I don't know. Like no. it it didn't specify, which led me to believe it probably just went to Frank. But <laughs> but I but I don't know. I don't know. It does. It didn't say. It's interesting. Okay. There's another time, a few months later where Frank Bellstreet was seen sitting at a table having dinner with, with Dominic Frenzy and Dr. Vito uh, at Gallagher's. Nothing weird going on, but just, you know, that they do actually hang out sometimes. On another occasion, uh, Joe Guerrero was in from Kansas City, um, and he had dinner there with Steve DeSalvo, Buster Bellstreet, Frank Bellstreet, Peter Bellstreet, Dr. Vito, and a few other men. So throwing that out there just to kind of counterbalance that, like, he wasn't thrilled that these mob guys were at his party because that wasn't the kind of party it was supposed to be. But he's not opposed to hanging out with these guys. These are still people who grew up in the community, and he knew. A lot of these guys he probably knew in grade school and high school and everything else. So it's it's not like he meets them and he's like, oh, you're the famous burglar. Let's mm-hmm. hang out. Like, he just always knew, knew these guys. He grew up with them. Yeah. Well, and not to mention that, I mean, when he was a kid, his father and, right. and his, what, grandfather? His father, grandfather, were, were both of bosses. his neighbors I mean, were all, yeah. Like, he was probably deeper into this than than we realize. Mm-hmm. Just because, but, it, but it was just by association because he knew everybody. Right. He, you know, like, and had a relationship with everybody, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. An FBI agent spoke with an informant in September 1963. The informant said that Dr. Vito was possibly 
a member of the mafia. He was, of course, known to treat them for medical problems in the past. That's, again, not evidence. Mm. So uh, possibly is even like a kind of a exaggeration. I don't know. At this point, Dr. Vito is already going down in health. He's getting in his uh, mid-50s. And despite being a doctor, apparently not the healthiest guy. <laughs> um, he suffers a heart attack in his mid-50s, going downhill. The Ad-Lib nightclub, another Frank Belstery club, held a sending-off party for Dr. Vito on November 9th, 1967. Uh, the sending-off was that he was going to visit his daughter, who was now living in Spain. I have no idea what ever became of her. Um, she may very well still be alive. I don't know. Cannot find out where she ended up. Like, like before, um, at the sending-off party, there were numerous hoodlums and gamblers, <laughs> uh, including Dominic Principe, Vito Sedita, Steve DeSalvo, Joe Caminiti, John Aliotto, Frank and Peter Belstri, Joseph Belstri Sr., which is Frank and Peter's dad, Nick Fucarino, Louis Fazio, etc., etc., etc. Not so much the good guys this time, just the shady guys. Right. <laughs> so again, like he's clearly buddies with them. Then finally, on September 3rd, 1968, Dr. Vito dies at age 59. Um, he suffered a second stroke, ends up in the hospital, where they find that he also has gallbladder problems. And then he passes from what they call cerebral artery arteriosclerosis. Very short, very short episode. Uh, just throwing that out there that like they opened a file on this guy basically because he's running in the same circles and he's got that name mm -hmm. like this is it like they find nothing like the best they can do is that he occasionally has I dinner with, with like his childhood friends who are questionable he just like these they never allege that he's you know even betting on horses they <laughs> nothing <laughs> so <clears throat> So, so that's I wish I wish I had more like nice things to say about you know how great of a doctor and everything he was. That's not even really the point of this. The point is just like he got wrapped up and stuff just by the very fact of him being born. Like yeah, like well, and what a crap. He deal. didn't help himself since he he maintained relationships with these people no, for years too. You no, know what I mean? he yeah, you're absolutely right. If he really wanted to. He could have moved to Madison or or just separated separated himself from. He didn't need to be hanging out at Frank Ballastrini no. clubs and and things like that. No, but I'm not going to blame him for that either. Well, and and I guess for clarification of this is that did all Italians hang out at Frank Ballastrini clubs? I, you know that, what that's I, a pretty broad question. But. Well, I mean, you know what I mean though. Like, are we talking about such a small community? That in the third ward, pretty much all the clubs were owned by Frank Balistrieri. No. So if you were going to go to a bar, you had to go to a Frank bar, pretty much. Or a it's not quite to that extent. And by the time, by the time that Frank was running clubs, like he wasn't running them in the third ward. Like they had kind of moved, moved out. out. He had if some was in the downtown area, some was on what they call the east side. Like you didn't have to, but obviously the Italians all knew each other from growing mm -hmm. up together. So. It certainly wouldn't be unusual. It's not a large community. Even today, it's not a large community. And in Milwaukee, they've got you know the annual celebration called Festa, like 
on the Summerfest grounds, and it's a huge party where everybody celebrates their Italian heritage. And even though like Milwaukee's got other, I don't know what you call ethnic festivals, Mm -hmm. that's the big one. Mm -hmm. That's the one that people love. And they're not even like the biggest group. Obviously, like the Germans far outnumber them. The Italian Fest, like that's just how much this community sticks together, together knows each other and, and everything else. You know, they've got their own monthly newspaper and everything. So it's, yeah, again, it's not to suggest anything shady. It's just that's the community. They they know each right. other, and that's that's they hang out. I don't know. Yeah, because like as you were going through this this episode, I kind of got to the point where I'm thinking like being with all the connections that he did have mm-hmm. to different people within the mafia. I don't know how you can out- outrightly say he wasn't deeper into the mafia mm-hmm. than we realize. But then at the same time, I also have to, again, and I think we run into this a lot with this podcast, where we have to step back and remember that this is 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. And things were a lot different back then. And like part of me wonders is that if you were an Italian of any success, could you really avoid interactions with Frank Balistrieri? Because he was just that big of a deal in the Italian community. I I think that's certainly part of it. You know. And... and and it goes both ways. I mean, if you grew up in the Italian community and then, you know, one of the guys you grew up with becomes a successful Italian doctor, he's the guy you're going to go to as your doctor, mm. right? I mean, not, I'm not saying that they didn't all necessarily use him as their doctor, but you would be more inclined to support him. Like, it's just, it's just the whole thing. Like, it's... It's a it's a problem, and and I'm always trying to be very careful with my language because it's something that has happened for as long as this sort of thing has been around. Where if you're not careful how you say things, they sound bad mm-hmm. because the closeness of the Italian community does help the mafia prosper. That in and of itself is not a bad thing, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it kind of generated a bad outcome because all the Italians were kind of protecting the mafia, right? It's yeah, in, in, they, in a way because they wouldn't say it that way, but they kind of were, were because be- they had loyalty to each other, right? That trait as a whole is not a bad thing by any right. means. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just happened to be that this is an example where it led to something kind of negative, where right and. I mean, and I guess that I'll close this out just in, I don't know how well you'll be able to answer this question, but sure. so I'm walking down the street in the third ward. I run into a mafia member in this area. Your perception. Okay. And I'm assuming you mean back in the day. Yeah. Back in the day. Okay. So let's go back. Because today you wouldn't see that. But, right. Yeah. But let's just say that, and I know, okay, I know that this is so-and-so. Yeah. I mean- did the mafia have the persona back then where you were immediately afraid of that guy? Or or was it kind of like they were there wasn't so much of a stigma against the mafia, even though they were doing bad things at times? I think it depends on the individual. I don't think most people were afraid of Frank, mm-hmm. even though they knew, you know, who he was. I think most people, you know, would go to his club, think he was a 
nice guy, guy. You know, they might chat with him at the bar or something. Whereas other people, Steve DeSalvo, if you ran into Steve DeSalvo, you know, he had the reputation of being the more violent guy. So you might be more afraid of him. But I mean, unless you have some reason to be afraid, like they're not like going around beating up random people. (laughs) I, I would say more often than not, you're probably not afraid of them. They're just, they're guys you grew up with. Yeah. I mean, let's put it like this. This is a very bad example. But because we don't we don't pre-write these, you're gonna get a bad example. Um, I mean, we grew up with people as kids and in high school and everything else, and some of them, and I'm not naming names, <laughs> but some of them may be, you know, into heroin or meth now. Mm. And if I run into them, like I'm not gonna not talk to them, and I'm not gonna not whatever. But I'm also not afraid they're going to try to sell me meth or or try to <laughs> slip you an injection or something, yeah. right? Yeah, and I so, actually that 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 is kind of a bad example, but that's also a very good example where yeah. where it does show that line where where I mean underneath it all, what a person becomes, there's still that person that you knew your mm-hmm. entire life, so you're not going to just disown somebody because of something. Right. They maybe have become. Thank you. That that was the point. So thank you for, for <laughs> finding what I was trying to get at. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a it's a very bad comparison, but the the point being is, if you grow up together, you don't see these. guys. I mean, you know they're mob guys, but you don't see them, them as mob guys. guys because yeah. they're still just that person that you grew up with. Right. Yeah. But it is at the same time though. The whole thing of him having them at a, at a, at these parties and stuff, that one is a little weird. Yeah. Because I think in your example, you tend to, you see that person, you'll be fine with them. Mm-hmm. But you're not inviting them to parties yeah. and things like that anymore. Yeah. You know, because you just kind of grow apart from each other. And yeah, that. And, and I guess. That's where the That's where I think in this story, the funny line is because... He obviously had, I mean, if he was choosing to have these events at Frank's bars Mm -hmm. and all of these people were there, he had stronger relationships than than just what you're talking about in your example. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so hard. It's so hard. This this is something like we have selected information and it's 60 years ago. So so I don't know, but... (laughs) But he, Bot, bottom line, I'm giving Doctor Vito a pass. I don't think he did anything wrong. Uh, like he had, he had a few shady friends, but I'm not going to hold that against him. Yeah, and and maybe he took bullets out of, yeah, <laughs> out of somebody that got a bullet from a crime. I mean, I'd like to think that any doctor would do that for right. some, if somebody came in and was going to die from a bullet shot. He's not going to ask questions on why. Yeah. He's just going to take the bullet out so the person doesn't die. Right. So. Right. All right. Well, with that, we went down quite a rabbit hole with <laughs> yeah. this one, so I think we can wrap yeah, this up. Yeah, this is supposed any- to be super short. <laughs> do you got anything else with that one, or sure? No, this is this is it for that. I do want to give a preview, a very super short preview of the next one because I'm really excited about it. Okay, and it's going to go back into the connection between 
the mafia and the Wisconsin cheese business. We, Ooh. I know we did an episode quite a while back. Yeah, and Grande that. Cheese. Yep, yeah. and we and we did like the super super short version. We're gonna come back and we're gonna do a very specific one, and and I'm excited about it because as we record this today, the Fond du Lac County Medical Examiner's Office is sending me an autopsy report. Ooh, so I. Hopefully by next week, I have this autopsy report that I can report back on <laughs> uh, about somebody who was allegedly a victim of the disputes in the cheese business. So Okay, so this is going to all be tied back to Grande Cheese again? Well... Not, not a different... I don't want to... You keep saying that name, and I don't know if I... I mean... Let's make it very clear. Grande Cheese is not owned by or controlled by the mafia. It yeah. is just a cheese company that happens to have some mafia history in it. Okay. So... <laughs> okay. Yes, that is correct. But yes, there are... There, I, I mean, I guess you said it. Yes, there's definitely a Grande Cheese connection here. Okay. Okay. I didn't know if we were going off some other completely different segment or area of Wisconsin no, cheese or no, if we're it, back we're back there okay one of these days they're gonna get real mad at me <laughs> but but I'm just reporting what I got just the facts man so, <laughs> all right with that we will be back in two weeks with that episode we thank thank everybody for tuning in as just an, a reminder always we do have a patreon you can check that out at patreon.com slash Milwaukee mafia Gavin does need some more subscribers because he's in a Battle with Birdo, and Birdo's winning right now. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) If you can help him out, he would really appreciate it. I don't mind. I'm more impressed that Birdo was able to do it so quickly. (laughs) Uh, With that, Gavin, you got contact info for him? Yeah, pretty much at this point. (laughs) Your best and only way to reach me is MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com. You can try to reach through Facebook, but guess what? I don't have a Facebook anymore. So if you if you send a message, um, it's just going to go to Eric, which yeah. which I'm sure you know that's fine too. But if you're trying to reach me, it's not me. And and it's going to go to Eric, and Eric is going to respond to you and say, "Hi, this is Eric. Please <laughs> send this request to Milwaukee Mafia at gmail Yeah, and Gavin will respond to you because he cannot access this Facebook. Account. I cannot <laughs> access my own author page anymore. So. So yeah, just just use the email. Save yourself the time and email them. And I well save me some time because you know it takes me forever to get onto his author <laughs> page. It takes Facebook yeah. like twenty years to log into it. So. Yeah, Facebook is not a great. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. With that, we thanks everybody for the continued support. We'll see you back here in one week with for the Patreon. It if you're a Patreon member, if not, you're going to go over to Patreon.com and get subscribed. Wow. Or two weeks with a regular episode. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next time for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.